0: Hey, what is going on everyone? It's me Mr. Mario and welcome back to another episode of Mod Chat. In case you do not know, this is a podcast I do at least monthly in which I kind of cover some news topics, some points of interest, some cool things in regards to the world of console modding and I present them to you here in two different forms. First of all, there is a visual component to this, which is on the Mr. Mario 2011 YouTube channel. And if you want to take this around and listen to it like an actual podcast, you can simply look up Mod Chat, all one word on your favorite podcasting app, host or provider. It's not available on every single provider out there, but it's available on most of them, I would say. Anyways, if you're checking out the visual this time around, I'm not appearing on camera. This is just a temporary thing. But I am going to have some gameplay here on screen, which will most likely be Limbo being played on the switch Uh, one of the games that I haven't played for a while but very much enjoy and I picked it up again on sale so either way let's go ahead and get into our topics here because we do have a good amount to cover first of all this is a couple months old now at this point but this is from Mozilla over at this PSX place thread and this is the MC tool or MC tool for Tony hacks and free PSX boot now, essentially what this is, is this allows you to install either Tony Hacks or free PSX boot on a memory card using only an original PlayStation, which is pretty cool to see here. It even states here at the top, I noticed the primary methods of installing Tony Hacks require a PS2 console or hardware to interface with the memory card, oh, well, interface the memory card with a PC. I created this program so there would be an option using only a PS1 console to install Tony Tony hacks. All you need is a way to start a burn disc on your PS1 such as a swap trick. So that's really cool. Really this will allow you to you can download this here burn it off to a disc and then get that burn disc running on your PS1. Most of the time of course that's going to be a swap trick but even if you just have a chipped PS1 you can use that as well too. And from there, you can choose if you want to install free PSX boot and or Tony Hacks on there, uh, choose which slot, choose from multiple different BIOS versions. So this is really cool overall. There was also a follow-up post, which is called uh, PS1 Demo Swap Patcher. Now, from what I understand here, it's talking about demo disks. And I suppose it's kind of mentioning if you're going to swap using a demo disk, just stating here, If your only method to start a CDR or import is the swap trick, that might be a problem. With this program, you can take your original demo disc and make a patched copy on a CDR to load Tony Hacks. So if you have like an old demo, such as like a official PlayStation Magazine demo or a Jam Pack demo disc or PlayStation Underground demo disc, you can back that up to your computer, patch it using demo swap. And then from here, it just says load original demo disc with lid switch pressed, but lid is open. Proceed to a point where it is safe to remove the disc insert the patch CDR version and then load the correct demo to trigger Tony Hacks because a lot of times there's not going to be well, the disk is not going to be spinning 100% of the time, so that makes sense there. Also, an update, well, a couple updates. Added updated disk library to support demo swap with Namco Museum Volumes 1 through 4, 5 didn't work, as well as Williams Arcade's Greatest Hits. Version 1.01 available. Had report of issues with ECC EDC generation causing problems. Disabled it. It's not required as your burner should autocorrect for changes due to patching. Also included the listed disclib.txt with it. If 1.0 is not making working burns, 1.01 should. I may look into what was wrong with the ECC, EDC in the future. So that's really cool. These are a couple tools that I really need to look into here. Uh, but it also states here that it looks like Alex Free has ported uh, PS1 demo swap to Linux and macOS. So that's pretty cool. All right. This is something I'll have to look into at one point. But if you haven't looked into Tony Hacks or Free PSX Boot, they are amazing ways to, in short, really soft mod your PS1 allowing you to play homebrew, unsigned code, backups, imports uh, without needing a mod chip or relying on a swap trick constantly. You really just need a certain save or a modified memory card in a certain way, so it's really all loaded off a of memory card. It's it's pretty cool to see here. Next up, we have something pretty interesting for the PS3, which is Project RSX Boost from developer Zeckoshow. Now, this is stating you can overclock your retail PS3 RSX speeds. And let's just get into this here. The goal of the project is simple overclock RSX to achieve some frame per second boost in games and VSH while maintaining stability in the operating system and games themselves. Currently, it comes in two bundles, and there's added custom firmwares. One has a core speed of 550 MHz, and the second one has a core speed of 600 MHz. The bundles attached below are a modified version of EvoNAT 4.88.1 custom firmware, LV1, the regular version. The boosts can be achieved through LV1 Poke as well, but you have to restart LV1 in order for them to succeed. Perhaps Junie can make some custom firmwares or Haxing can integrate it on his PS3 MFW, but patches have been added. So it looks like DECR models only. I guess if you want to do this on DECRs, you can as well too. All right, this is cool to see. Now, big thing that they note here, overclocking can potentially carry extreme risk to your hardware depending on your PS3 models and environment. Also take note, this is still an experimental project and caution should be used. Now I can come over to updates here and states, I mean, these are some ready-to-go firmwares if you want them. So, RSX overclock patches add to custom firmware, use at your own risk, hardware flashers recommended for testers. Also, it notes that not all models have been tested and RSX patches are still experimental. So, this isn't something that you should just be, you know... Playing around with like an like an everyday uh, I guess a daily driver I guess you can say, uh, but it looks like here there are Evonat custom firmwares as well as, well as Rebug Rex firmwares. These ones are for 4.84.2, and it's nice seeing the overclock speeds on here. Now another caution: if your PS3 has overheating issues, overclocking the RSX can be very dangerous. When using these experimental custom firmwares, be sure to keep an eye on your internal temps. That console should exercise additional caution. Over slim consoles looks like there's also a plug-in here a new plug-in for frames per second and temperature Let's take a look at this here. All right, so this is just this is nice It shows like all the stats here uh, in the corner. All right And let's see if I can check out this. Oh, I think it's just it looks like these are just both the same on here All right, but either way, I mean that's cool to see and you can see that all in real time now it looks like there's some comparisons on here as well too which i can check these out real quick and even just right off the bat it looks like the Wizwiki has provided this screenshot which i believe this is crisis 3 and you can see right here overclocking this like i don't think this is going to be consistent across the board on here but you're seeing that this game goes from in the same area i guess uh, 46 frames per second to 55 frames per second that's pretty cool uh, let's check out one of these videos here. So it looks like this video is from Proto, which is covering the Crisis 2 intro stage. And they even note here, the video is not desynced. The overclock makes the game faster consistently. I suggest headphones or muting it and playback in 4K just to see both 1080p streams in motion. It's also the first video to show an RSX overclock actually playing a game, albeit not the best. A lot of changes in a few hours. So let's kind of skip ahead here a bit. All right, yeah, we do see the desync here. I do see what he's talking about. So on the left, we have a stock PS3. On the right, we would have the uh, overclocked one, it seems. Now, it's also worth noting that I am playing this uh, at 1080p, mind you, but 60 frames per second. And I am recording this video as well, too, in 60 frames for anybody who is watching. Now, there's not any, uh, how do I say, there's not any analytics on screen here or any numbers that are showing this. But even just looking at it, I can see that the right has a... uh, It looks like this is running smoother and it's running at a higher frame rate than the one on the left. So that's definitely good to see. And you can also confirm that as well too just because things are happening on the right side of the capture before everything happening on the left side. So even just looking at some stuff here, like this is neat to see. It's not like completely synced up as was mentioned there, but this is still cool to see just overall (laughs) overall. Now it looks like this just dropped here recently from Developer Illusion or Illusion0001, which I've touched up on some of their patches before, and a lot of their patches are pretty popular for you know mainly just like 60 frames per second patches on the PlayStation 4. But this is frame pacing fixes for From Software titles, and it's saying here players dealt with bad frame pacing on consoles since 2015. Now just kind of let's just walk through this here. If you have ever played a recent From Software games on a console, be it Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, or the recently released Elden Ring, you may have noticed something off about the presentation. One being that it feels more stuttery than other games with a 30 frames per second cap, and the other is inconsistent frame rate on the enhanced consoles, with the frame rate going up and down as it pleases depending on what's happening on screen. So, fixing the first issue with improper frame pacing, it is an issue that started to occur on the 8th generation era with Bloodborne. So, it's kind of showing this here of course you're seeing with the frame time graph on that and then going back to the previous generation for ps3 and 360 you're seeing here frame rate is stable frame time is stable it's the frame time you want to pay attention to on there now even demon souls on the ps3 the same thing. So this is actually what I'm curious about now. What went wrong? I can only speculate on the decision to implement their own frame rate cap for multi-plat games is portability. Not having to deal with API calls for each console is a definite win, but they did not realize if their timer precision was off, it will cause inconsist- inconsistency in frame delivery there's something even more strange. Check out this video from VG Tech where they showcase Dark Souls 1 in back and pat mode on Xbox One. And let's see, this is only a 15 second video. So let's see here. Okay, yeah, bad frame pacing on the newer consoles, but not original hardware. That's very strange. <laughs> now Illusion ends up calling out a few fixes here for each platform, kind of just some recommendations but he's stating here either by changing game.flip mode in the code to 60 frames per second or changing the minimum frame update time from 33.33ms to 16.67ms, let's see the changes. So look at this, Bloodborne now is completely flat, 30 frames per second and no frame pacing issues. Voila, with just a few lines of code, we get proper and consistent 30 frames per second, killing two bug reports with one stone. Now, the same fix also applies for the uncapped frame rate on the enhanced consoles in Dark Souls 3 and later titles. Though, when implementing this in reality, the frame rate cap must always be an option rather than forcing it on the users. But either way, this is really cool to see and awesome for Illusion to release. So, it looks like there are patches. If you have a modified PlayStation 4, you can take advantage for Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, Sekiro, and the Elden Ring Network test. And there's also an installation guide showing this as well too so this is this is cool to see i love this here but i wish this was officially rolled into these games as well too that would also be really nice now over on wololo i am covering this article here that was released for a release on the vita by Renegade monte uh which this is pretty neat here this is called yo-yo loader which is game maker studio well a loader for game maker studio for the PlayStation Vita. Now, in case you do not know, well, actually, let's even get into it here. I'm sure it's explained a bit. Developer Renegade Amante has released Yo-Yo Loader, a GameMaker Studio launcher for the PS Vita. This allows you to run any GameMaker Studio game on your PlayStation Vita, the loader uses similar concepts as some of the developer's previous releases, such as *This War of Mine*, loading the ARM7 binary and patching it. Some of the most popular games made with Game Maker include *Undertale*, *Hotline Miami*, *Shovel Knight*, and *Hyperlight Drifter*. I know for sure *Undertale* and *Hotline Miami*. I'm not. I don't know if that actually got an official release. I know Undertale did, but I don't remember. if Hollow uh, Miami got a release on PS4, but did it get one on Vita? Okay, so it wasn't just my imagination. Uh, it did get a release on Vita and PS3 as well too, which, huh. Surprise, I didn't know it came out on PS3. Now, as explained here from the developer, Yo-Yo Loader is a loader for LibYoyo.so, the official Game Maker Studio Runner application for Android for the Vita. Yo-Yo Loader works by loading such ARM version 7 executable in memory, resolving its imports with native functions, and patching it in order to properly run. This enables to run potentially any game made with GameMaker Studio. So, this is pretty similar to what we've heard with, like, the, uh, the SO Loader, which was, I believe, it's not an emulator, but it's essentially a wrapper which will allow us to play... Those ported Android games, like you can take games that are on Android and port them over to the Vita using this loader not this one in particular not yo-yo loader but using that so loader and even here i mean you have a .so file i mean even just kind of describing i know i've covered this here before but again this is what allows not yo-yo loader but the previous loader i was talking about that's what allows games such as you know battlefield bad company 2 vita to exist this is taking the android version of bad company 2 and And it's allowing it to run on the Vita. Same thing here. The port works by loading the official Android ARMv6 executable in memory, resolving its imports with native functions, and patching it in order to run properly. So this is just the loader itself released overall to the public, but specific for GameMaker Studio. And as opposed to porting individual games, this is kind of just, you know, something that can be fit for individual games as you want to work on them however it states here for pc console export games you'll need to perform an asset swap with a blank android exported project with a game maker studio version similar or equal of the one of the game you want to attempt to run Note that patches to the bytecode may still be required in order to fix resolution, inputs, or performance issues. Any game reported as native instead will work with simple drag and drop of the APK, which that's pretty cool. A comprehensive compatibility list can be found over at yoyo.renegadamonte.it, and you can contribute to it by opening an issue over here. And just looking at the compatibility list here, I'm kind of just going to scroll down and see. So another Metroid 2 remake, that is playable. That's awesome. Uh, let's see, Death Gambit, that one will crash. Downwell, that one will crash. I know that, I want to say that did get, did that get, I swear I saw a homebrew port of Downwell for vita actually funny enough that wasn't even a homebrew port that was a official port yeah uh playstation 4 and vita in may 2016 so that got officially released but let's see uh the franbo chapters are all playable there's a Mega Man 1 remake that's playable metal slug SB fanthology is playable uh minute that will crash i think i've seen that on vita as well too Oh, this one's good. Even though this did get an official release here, Valhalla is playable. That's very good to know. Even just looking at an example here, so like for the unofficial version, you can see the game itself. The game version, Asset Swap with Skelly Shooter Stars. Uh, It covers the exact version that Yo-Yo Loader was running on here. And for issues, uh, no issues, Asset Swap with Skelly Shooter Stars. 30 frames per second, touch only, and you have to wait for the game to load. And here's some screenshots. Awesome. So this is a really, like, I I really like the documentation on all of this. So there we go. It looks like we're going to be getting even more homebrew ports of games over to the Vita, which is always really appreciate it this is really awesome to see so if there's more things like this that can happen that can just squeeze some more life out of the Vita I'm all for it because well Vita means life now I've covered this as a preview before but this is actually now in beta for people to try out and this is with Fat Explorer this here is specifically for the 16 terabyte Xbox 360 USB patch now this is a great write up that Eaton has put up here and released And this is also freely available as well too, now granted this is all uh, very experimental and when I say free it's because this is really available for the Fat Explorer beta and from what I understand the beta releases are just freely available for the masses but they have kind of an expiration date on them, that's what I understand. Um, But on here at least, covering this, uh, it is an exciting time to be an original Xbox or Xbox 360 enthusiast. 2022 has seen two new BIOS releases with Serbios and the Titan uh, for the original Xbox that add support for up to 16 terabyte internal hard drives. Today, another 16 terabyte solution has arrived. Before the Xbox 360 this time, the ability to use up to two 16TB external USB storage drives on RGH or JTAG Xbox 360s. Teased back in May 2021, the XE build patches are now ready, and FanExplorer has a new formatting tool to get USBs ready in short order. So covering the TLDR here, 16TB USB XE build patches are now available and are free. The patches increase performance of the 360 USB stack and make USBs load up to four times faster yo that's cool you can use two 16 terabyte usbs for 32 terabytes of extra storage you can use any three and a half inch two terabyte to 16 terabyte hard drive you want and use all the space for game dlc profile and homebrew storage all 16 terabyte storage is fully supported by the Xbox 360 and homebrew dashboards. Games in both G.O.D. and XCX format launch without issue. So that's really nice because that means that you don't have to go in and patch, update, recompile all of this homebrew. You're just patching the kernel itself. Now Fat Explorer supports formatting and mounting Titan partitions now. That's for the original Xbox. Serbios support has been added. Or would that be Serbios? I'm, I've been saying Serbios. Interested in larger than two terabytes SATA hard drives or SSDs, leave a comment so interest can be gauged. Now it looks like this is how it works. So if you have the Fat Explorer beta you have to go into the XL USB tools and you're going to be formatting the USB drive itself. You're pretty much formatting this as FATX, so it's no longer going to be NTFS, FAT, like FAT32, like uh, fat XFAT. It's not going to be natively recognizable in Windows. Um, it's going to be its own thing, but even with the way it's set up, if you want to interface with the drive on a Windows computer, you have to do everything through FAT Explorer. So, for example, copying any files to it, you can't just... Copy paste, you know drag and drop on there like you can on a fat 32 drive You have to do everything through fat Explorer now This is a really awesome write-up here, and I'm not doing this full justice by covering it on here I would recommend if you're really interested in all the nitty-gritty and seeing what Eaton looked into uh, The write-up is going to be linked in the description of the YouTube upload But kind of just doing a bit more of a TLDR here kind of just a high-level overview uh, We can see the speed improvements for example. So this is using a docking station and a 4 terabyte disk. Now check this out here for 16 terabyte loading mounting time at 512 kilobyte clusters. It looks like this is done in well, originally it was 34 seconds to mount, and now it's 8.7 seconds. He even states here how long it takes for USB to peer on the Xbox 360 dashboard. Even the largest possible disk loads and mounts in a very reasonable time. Smaller disks can be near instant. You may notice it says 16 terabytes instead of 4 terabyte, to. stick To simulate loading, mounting, performance of a 16 terabyte drive, the 4 terabyte disk size was spoofed to be 16 terabyte, since a real 16 terabyte disk was not on hand at the time of testing. That makes sense. Uh, For creating and writing a 512 megabyte file, it looks like we were able to shave it down by 3 seconds. That's cool. Even uh, reading that file, it was, well, actually, same thing, shaved down by three seconds. Now, this is what interested me here when I was checking out this write-up earlier. It says, in regards to the improvements here, there appears to be a Microsoft bug that caused USB volumes to be mounted twice. I'm just, I'm here, like, first of all, how did that not get caught before? But it states, the bug was caused by a function in XAM that would look for a secdata.bin file on a USB, and then immediately dismount it. This is just, this perplexes me here because I don't, maybe for some internal testing on development of the 360, uh, yeah, you could have a sec data dot bit on the USB drive. But it just seems like this is something that Microsoft should have patched out years and years and years ago. <laughs> I don't see the need for it on a production system production level but mind you shortly after that the USB would be mounted again to actually set it up for user storage this function in xam has no real use and when patched out cut loading mounting times by half that's why I'm saying this shouldn't have been in here for even to begin with on the production side but that's just that's crazy to me that that was not Not only that wasn't caught, but that wasn't taken out officially. It's also noted that even though this is a nice improvement, it states here, keep in mind that the Xbox 360 uses USB 2.0 speeds, so speeds are slow by modern standards. It's recommended to play games off the internal hard drive instead of USB storage. The internal hard drive is still faster. That's good to know. Even with the file system change, like it says here, USB storage is typically FAT32 formatted, but this is going to change it to FATX. So again, you can't just drag and drop easily on there. And for recommended hardware, you can check this out if you'd like to. However, it's really stating here don't buy anything larger than this 16 terabyte it won't work so this is the cap here has been raised i mean considerably from two terabytes to 16 terabytes now he has a few screenshots here of here to 16 terabyte usb drives all this shown right here. Looks like this is showing in XEX menu just fine, in-game just fine, in Aurora, in Freestyle. So really he has all the bases covered, which is fantastic. And it's even seeing here the USB patches in the formatter are free and will remain that way post beta. However, only Fat Explorer will be able to browse the USB when it's connected to your PC, and that will require a paid license past the trial period. So that's what I was talking about earlier. Now what's next here at the end. The authors of JRunner and XC build may add these patches to their software distributions, but probably not right away while the community tests them to ensure everything works as expected. There's also a chance this may be extended to allow internal SATA hard drives SSDs larger than 2 terabytes, but there are more technical challenges to overcome before that is possible. Additionally, there are other physical limitations. And really, this is more just covering that there's mods that you would have to do in order to do this here. So you can download the beta here and try this out yourself, however, I would Say that this is not, you know, like full daily driver ready unless you really know what you're doing on here. I believe even at one point it's mentioned that even though it shows format on here, if you just hook up a USB drive, this pretty much just sacrifices all other types of drives. So, for example, uh, if you have an existing two terabyte drive that has a bunch of 360 games on it, like a FAT32 drive, that's not gonna work on your patched system anymore. Um, there's going to be other functionality that's just not going to work on there. Let, let me see where that's at. Here we go, this is what I was talking about. So looking at the limitations, internal USB memory units will no longer be accessible while the patch is applied. So for example, if you have a, a four gigabyte trendy system that has that physical four gigabyte module, then you won't be able to access that anymore. Uh, It says external memory units will no longer work. So I'm sure that's talking about the actual like old school memory units, like the memory cards. Uh, Formatting, configuring USB storage on the Xbox 360 dashboard will no longer be possible. There we go. You must use Fat Explorer to format USB storage. And also states here, just worth reading, uh, file flag, no buffering, and FO, no intermediate buffering support is removed all files will be opened with buffering system-wide. Honestly, that goes a little over my head there, but those those three limitations here were worth calling out. So there you go. If you're wanting to mess around with a big, giant Xbox 360 storage device on here, this is something that is worth looking into, and if you want to try it out for sure. But just keep those limitations in mind, and I will say that if you're downloading the patches and you're not exactly sure how to utilize them, you might still want to hold off a bit on there. These are still in a testing experimental phase. So I'm sure it'll be a few weeks or a few months before we do see these in JRunner, even if they are eventually added to JRunner. I would hope that they are, but we'll see. Either way, this is a really cool release to finally come out. Now, this is something I heard about happening, and I know we've even covered it in regards to the uh, Zelda Ocarina of Time Reverse engineering project, uh, but it looks like there is a PC port that is now available. It says, like, now complete and available online. It features HD graphics, modding support, widescreen, and more, and you can see this running natively here on ultra wide, which is awesome. I just feel like I haven't heard nearly as much about this as i was hearing with the super mario 64 decompilation project and the ports but regardless here let's go ahead and see what's going into this the pc port includes many new features such as hd graphics ultra wide resolution keyboard support modding support force feedback and gyroscope aiming and developer harbor masters claims it's working on adding text to speech that's cool 60 frames per second visuals twin stick camera controls hd models and audio texture packs and Linux and Mac support for future updates. Now, there's a piece of software you have to download, and it says that you have to input your own legally sourced N64 ROM of Ocarina of Time, after which it will extract the game's assets and spit out a native PC version. So you do have to build that all yourself there and they are hoping that this separation from nintendo's owned assets will help shield it from any legal ramifications but i haven't heard anything on this here at least either way this is absolutely something beautiful to see here and if we see some more ports of this that will be you know fantastic (laughs) I think this is great now typically at the end of these episodes I like to cover something that is kind of cool crazy random weird awesome whatever it might be and kind of tie it somehow to the modding community what we've seen on here Uh, so this actually just ended up I guess leaking or being shown Uh, the day I'm recording this, which I'm recording this a couple of days before I release it. This is being recorded on April 18th, and I'm sure we're still going to see some more news about this, but this is something in regards to the Switch, and uh, well... (laughs) There's just a few things here I kind of want to poke at. I'll have this linked down below in the description, but from Trash Bandit Coot over on Twitter, they state here so Nintendo's official Game Boy Advance emulator for the Nintendo Switch just leaked. Now it's a matter of waiting for Nintendo Switch Online to add Game Boy Advance. And I just want to look at this image here. You can see that there's a lot to take in here where, uh, granted, this, I don't think this is how this is going to look, you know, if this ever does officially release on here. And there's several things in regards to this, but this looks a lot more like something that you would see internally, especially since, I mean, you're seeing priority replay time. Replay time will probably stay there, but raw monitor bugs It also shows the version number there and what this is called, which it looks like this is called, this is the Sloop Game Boy Advance emulator. But here there's several different games that you can pick out here. So they have like Pokemon Pinball, uh, multiplayer, so two-player games, uh, even ROM patches. And you could see just different settings there, like palette retuning, semi-transparency lens flare, semi-transparency anti-aliasing effects. So a, a lot of this is absolutely, you know, like, only four developers on here even yeah like multi well multiplayer scenarios like gba boot single pack receive so just a lot of these things and pokemon trade there, there's a lot that you can pick out here but probably my favorite and i'm glad this screenshot was grabbed but you can see in the selected features there's a spin points input uh, inputs replay turbo save data memory uh, record and rewind, but there's export state to flashcards. And the description for that is resume suspend point from emulator onto original hardware to confirm original behavior. Try this on PC. And you can see that there is a, it looks like a 32 gigabyte micro SD card and an easy flash cartridge, like an easy flash flash cart. <laughs> that's amazing. That That's my favorite thing here out of everything. So this is to say that a lot of these, like, features here we're seeing are not going to be public facing at all when I do think that we're going to see Game Boy Advance on Nintendo Switch Online through the expansion pack but we're not going to have all this granular detail here there's no need for a I guess consumer version of this to have that but it's just amazing and hilarious and also awesome to see this internal tool here they're also posting here a few screenshots if anyone is curious so there's one we got another right there we have a third one we have a fourth one here all right and yeah again sloop emulator for nx that seems to be what this is called now for some additional information they state this is starting to do numbers thanks to random lookups so i'll bring in some extra context in case anyone has any doubts four files were leaked so far on 4chan two nsps with a seven zip archive that has loose ncas The two NSPs is a Nintendo-developed Game Boy Advance emulator called Sloop. And the 7-zip archive is called Hiyoko, which is a Game Boy emulator with all Game Boy games being separate applications. These emulators are developed by Nintendo Europe Research and Development and are both functional, albeit with a few bugs. So that's why, even with this here, because it's still allegedly leaked out internal and everything... I think there's been some people that have kind of been criticizing and poking at this and to that I kind of say I mean this is this is internal here it's still being worked on. <laughs> it's also noted here that another important piece of tidbit this was dumped from a switch console and not taken from Nintendo servers so this is unrelated to the other 2020 2021 Nintendo leaks. I'll still consider this a leak of its own, though, as no Game Boy, Game Boy Advance, Nintendo Switch Online has surfaced yet. I also wanted to cover some pieces of information from Oatmeal Dome as well, too, and I I think they've, I've covered some of their work before and some of their leaks. Uh, but they state here for sloop, traces left behind in the code appear to indicate that the Game Boy Advance emulator is being co-developed by Nerd and Panasonic Vietnam. Nerd was responsible for emulation in Super Mario 3D All-Stars, Nintendo Switch Online, and the mini consoles. Now, this actually even, I guess, answered down here why Panasonic, though, and Leo Oliveira states, Panasonic made all of Nintendo's optical discs and drives since GameCube. So, GameCube, Wii, Wii U, because Nintendo kind of burned bridges with Sony in 1992. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Even some other pieces of information from Oatmeal Dome stating here for Hiyoko, the Game Boy emulator is very early in development. Each game is shipped as its own app and has the same icon shown below. It appears to have netplay support for link cables with each Switch system emulating two Game Boys at the same time and simulating a link cable between them. That's cool. All right. Interestingly, while it does have Netplay support, it doesn't use any of the usual Nintendo network libraries, such as Nex or PIA, possibly a custom server for testing. The SDK used is also very old, circa 2018, indicating that this is likely a really old build. So I wonder if we'll see anything from that. Even stating here, here's the list of games that are in the development build of the Game Boy Advance Simulator. Note that a game being on this list does not guarantee it will be in the final release. There's many factors to consider here, license fees, copyrights, all that. Uh, So Mondo Mega looks like they end up posting this and just taking a quick look at it here. So some of these games like Castlevania, well, both of them, Circle of the Moon and Aria of Sorrow, F-Zero Maximum Velocity, The Golden Sun Games, Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories, Kirby and the Amazing Mare, uh, Mario Golf Advanced Tour. This isn't all of them, but I'm just kind of doing some call-outs here. And granted, this is no guarantee that this is even going to come out officially or these games will come out officially. This is just the list of games that they have tested with. I think it's also worth noting here as well, too, in regards to sloop, a git folder was left in the ROM, meaning we can access information about the git repository used for the project. Since it's of interest to many people, the image of an easy flash cart was added by a nerd employee on August 7th, 2020. Name plus partial email redacted. So, hmm. That's cool. Interesting to see. Either way, I think this was really cool to highlight on here, even though it's not technically related to modding. this kind of a leak on there, but it was just interesting to see this overall and something that I did want to talk about. Uh, My opinion on here is I think we're absolutely going to get Game Boy Advance support officially on the Switch at one point. It's definitely going to be added. In my opinion, it's going to be added through... Uh, The Nintendo Switch Online expansion pack service. Uh, As for original Game Boy, I mean, there's been evidence and it's kind of been talked about for several years that there is emulation of Game Boy games that's happening that is going to be added. Uh, Will we actually see Game Boy games? Maybe, maybe. Maybe it looks like that's a different emulator on there. I guess I just see more effort and more of a drive towards Game Boy Advance. This isn't going to completely omit the need for Game Boy, but I'm just not sure about that. We'll see it. But I think that's possible as well too. But Game Boy Advance just at least so far what we've seen that we're not supposed to see (laughs) it looks like that's more fleshed out at least at this point in time anyways that is about it for this episode of mod chat i hope you all enjoyed it i hope you all appreciated it i hope you had some fun listening and watching and you know checking out whatever you wanted to on here now typically at the end of these episodes i like to pick a keyword or a key phrase and that way if you use that keyword or key phrase in a comment on the YouTube upload I will know that you've made it to the end of this episode so for this episode you know let's go ahead and use the word patch if you use the word patch in your comment on the YouTube upload I'll know that you've made it to the end and if you're listening to this don't worry you can come on over to the YouTube upload and if you use that word patch in your comment I'll know that you've made it to the end of this episode. Anyways, that is about it for this episode of Mod Chat. If you enjoyed this episode, a like would absolutely be appreciated. If you didn't like it, a dislike is fine as well, too. Maybe you just really don't want those extra games on Nintendo Switch Online. Who knows? But either way, that will help out in its own way as well, too. This is Mr. Mario signing off. Thank you all for listening and watching, everyone. Until next time.